In our system, we're giving the owner of that vaccination certificate control over whether or not he chooses to share it with an airline or a venue that may require it for entry. And I think that's our differentiator, right? Another one that's interesting in the health sector is, um, you know, as we get older, we use, we may use, let's say, um, internet of medical things, devices, right? They may be capturing, let's say, health information or, you know, perspiration rate or, you know, um, heart rate, whatever the case might be. Right now, these medical devices, they're capturing that personal health information and they're storing in the cloud on proprietary databases. And we know because we ticked a box saying, I accept, they're marketing that database, uh, that that data. It may be an, an anonymized, but they're selling that data 10 times over, just like Facebook and Twitter and others do with our information today, right? It's become the surveillance capitalism society, right? Well, in our worldview, that's my personal data. I should be able to control how and who it's shared with. Ash, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good to be here. Thank you for uh, having me. Definitely. Uh, you're working on some really cool technology. Uh, I, I looked into it, you know, shortly before we started this. It's a blockchain based. It's, a, it's about it's mostly about personal identity. And we talk a lot about personal identity and privacy on, on the show. It's something I'm yeah. really concerned about. So I'm, I'm going to really enjoy di diving deep into this uh, with you. Um, but first of all, can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a retired management consultant partner. Uh, I've, I spent about uh, 15 years in Australia with PwC and uh, more recently as a partner driving our government practice for EY in uh, Ottawa. Mm. Um, on retirement, I, I really didn't have, uh, you know, much golf or fishing. So I had to find something more useful to do with my life. And mm -hmm. uh, I've always been interested in blockchain. So I thought I'd look into it. And based on, I guess, both personal and professional experience, I felt that there was a need and a niche that we could uh, we could satisfy. So that's how we got here. Amazing. Um, you know, on the show, uh, we regularly discuss this, how entrepreneurship is seen uh, something that the youth do. But in reality, it's shifted a lot. Um, it's actually the other way around. Um, there's, there's this is great. Um, dichotomy between entrepreneurs, right? The vision-led ones and those that are operators, right? The visionary ones, it doesn't matter what age you are, you see this brilliant solution that kind of like drives you crazy and you get pulled towards that vision. And then there's yeah. operators who have generally worked uh, very, in a very sophisticated way in some industry and gained some really deep knowledge in some, kind of, in some kind of facility. And from there, saw some kind of strategic gap that they can fulfill themselves. And then they launch, uh, launch their business into that strategically. And depending on which side of this uh, spectrum you kind of fall in, you've, you, know, you kind of naturally gravitate to different strategies. Um, love to hear from you because, you know, you, you seem to have some lot of executive experience. What you're working on, is it a passion driven? Is it strategic? You see a vision, like you see a, a Look, journey. I, I think it's a gap and I just, I'll qualify one thing. We're not necessarily focused on identity per se, but more focused on document sharing. And I, our value proposition, and we believe that nothing is more ripe for innovation and disruption than how we share our important documents, right? We all have important documents, we all share them. And today we, we share them in two different ways. 
attach our important stuff, pictures of our important documents mm -hmm. to an email or uh, upload them on a web form. And these are all technologies that are, you know, were designed 60 years ago mm -hmm. and they're not exactly, you know, security uh, foolproof. And quite frankly, we've got better technology options today. And so it's sort of, I would argue we're probably in the, in the second bucket you mentioned, mm -hmm. experience-based. Um, but we also believe that there's a need and, and um, you know, we think that's a gap. While there's a lot of focus on identity or some very niche play, our, our value proposition, we believe, is going to be more being the Swiss army knife of document sharing. And, and we feel that that's a gap. And um, we've seen that in governments. Um, you know, we assume government departments share data and, and through personal experience, we can probably all have a story or two that that would uh, suggest otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, and, and now we're beginning to think about coopetition uh, and what that means and how do organizations share, you know, documents, you know, if they have, if you will, uh, uh, a client base that they, in common, um, and yet they rely on each other's documentation, if you will, to fulfill their eligibility termination or, or uh, service delivery requirements. So there's there's a lot of all of that happening, but it's not facilitated today. We, we, we've we sort of come to live with a low-grade fever of, you know, doing these things poorly. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if I were to go to apply, you know, for a job with you, you'd probably want to say, Ash, I want to know you're a Canadian citizen or you can work here mm -hmm. legally. So what do we all do? We take pictures of important documents and we put it in an email and that's just not good enough. You know, and it's inconvenient. So we think we can you know, substantially change that. I, I worked for an organization previously and uh, as part of a government contract, we ended up hiring 200 people and all their identities. I mean, all their information was just sitting on a G drive, right? On a, on a, on a, on a corporate G drive. And I, I still think about that to this day. I'm like, it's sitting there somewhere, Yeah. you know, and... Yeah, yeah. And again, this company was not pure, that that very sophisticated. They didn't use that much, uh, you know, technology that much. Uh, I, in fact, had to uh, train a lot of the management on how uh, GC works, you know, and and, yeah. and give that. And this idea that um, important documents that you know we 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 know are important, we personally shield them, but can be kind of like not be valued by the companies we deal with. It's kind of scary. Yeah, you just look, and it's funny you mentioned government because government issues to us most of our important mm -hmm. documents, or many, many of them, right? Sure, we have educational institutions that give us our degrees and we hang them up on the wall, or we have health networks or doctors that give us test results and things like that that are important as well. But government does give us a lot, whether it's a passport, a driver's license, an identity card, birth certificate, marriage certificate, you name it, right? And all of that stuff comes into play when we go do simple things like um, get credit for buying a car or apply for a mortgage mm. and, you know, uh, just change an apartment. Never mind moving and what what's entailed in all of that, right? Um, for, to a different city or state or province, right? So all of that, all of those simple, you know, confirmation of yourself beyond just identity, but place of work, you know, income, all of those things that we normally age, all that stuff, citizenship, um, you know, becomes cumbersome and and we assume whoever we're sharing this stuff with will handle it securely mm -hmm. like you say 
But I think if anything, you know, as t- you know, if we or if we're seeing anything over the last, you know, few years, is every week we're hearing another data mm-hmm. breach, right? I cannot, I can no longer assume that by sharing my data, that organization is going to a handle it securely, or not be vulnerable to a data breach in the future, right? That's just that's just a wish. It's not an assumption we make. It used to be an assumption. Now it's just a wish. And and you know, just recently in the states, right? There's been the um, you know the 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 issues with the gas and um, meat. Right. So this is getting almost to be a regular periodic mm. incident that we're dealing with. And I think there's there's more secure ways of doing it. And that's what we're positioned to. Cool. Do. So why blockchain? Like, um, like, how is this significantly different than like a, like a G Suite drive like we talked about before? Like, why would people yeah. keep documents in, 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 the, in the chain? Fair enough. Uh, look, and blockchain, you know, the, you could say. I could deliver that functionality using just a regular Oracle database in a centralized repository somewhere. Sure, you could, but then you don't get the benefit of a decentralized, you know, ledger technology that blockchain mm-hmm. delivers. In other words, it becomes, a, you know, a honeypot, if you will, for potential attack. It becomes vulnerable to denial of service attacks. It's more vulnerable to tampering. Blockchain gives you a lot of those features. So even if a node in the network were to be tampered with. In a blockchain context, that would be recognized by the other nodes, but there would be no service mm. interruption. Life would go on. You, you, you could carry service delivery uh, forward. And I think that's a major thing, uh, you know, that, that, that a major capability that can't be delivered through a centralized solution. Never mind that it's far more temper resistant, right? Um, there is transparency. There, there. You know, you can you can see, if you will, the provenance of information, and it, that that gives me as a document owner or a holder of of a, a credential or a document from a government entity or an important document some peace of mind compared to today, where I don't know if that centralized repository is going to get hacked tomorrow. There's mm-hmm. no assurance. So. Uh, people have been talking about security for quite a, quite a while now, and especially the blockchain community has been thrown back and forth in this mix, right? About uh, between efficiency and security, that you know, because um, you know the, um, the transaction times. So when it comes to documents and document sharing, yeah. right? So what does what does this framework look like? Is it uh, you as a client is helping me upload documents straight into a chain onto onto a particular blockchain? Is it your proprietary blockchain? Uh, chain? Um, how does that work? The basic premise is one, it's um, a permission blockchain context, right? And and so the basic premise is this, I ask the issuing authority, whether that's a government or private sector entity, to put or give me my document, the credentials on the blockchain, right? So I'm authorizing them to put it on this blockchain on my behalf. So I'm giving them that license because once it's there, the only individual authorized to share it with anyone or view it is me. So if I'm applying, let's say, for a job with you, and if we take the citizenship uh, you know, example forward, and you say, Ash, I need to know you're a Canadian uh, citizen, I can say, okay, my passport is here on my system. I can give you a time permission key to look at that, to see it. You get 100% confirmation of the authenticity of that because 
I'm not the originator of that document. It's the issuing authority, the passport office, right? And so you no longer have to do anything else to validate the authenticity of the information I'm sharing with you, because you know the only source of that is the issuing authority. So we, we do this, it's, it's a very simple, elegant, closed loop, but it does entail the issuing authority giving me that document on this platform. They know it's a secure platform. They know I've got control. So they're giving me a better client service, if you will. And in their side, they benefit from reducing fraud, reducing paper, delivering a more timely service to the client. So they're, you know, it's a win-win proposition for both organizations, right? I'm not going to call them up and say, I lost my document. Please give me a replacement, mm-hmm. right? And, and if it were such a thing like a passport that will get updated or expires, as soon as they give me the updated passport on this platform, that becomes the new record, if you will, or the block on the chain. And so it's, you know, it's a, it's a very easy, if you will, elegant solution that has a win-win proposition Absolutely. for all participants, the document issuer, the document owner, and a document request. So this is infinitely fascinating, uh, more fascinating from the general products we see, right? In this kind of space, uh, generally what companies would yeah. do is like allowing comp- allowing individuals to digitize their current uh, document documents, assign a token, uh, you know, verify that against uh, existing data by bases and just be this key security key they can use yeah. uh, use online. But you're bringing government into this, which is a unique stakeholder. Um, how has that experience been dealing with government in this space? Look, uh, what we're trying to be, we're trying to be mm. industry agnostic, right? But we definitely recognize government's an important player here. They give us, as we mentioned, a lot of important documents and credentials that other organizations and entities in society rely on. Like every transaction we undertake, ask us for our SIN number, but it's government that issues SIN number. So what we're trying to do is help government a facilitate that because th- their systems of record are generating these things digitally anyways. We're asking them to do one more API call to this platform, and then they are now having a serious uh, impact on reduction of fraud with respect to sin, for, exa- for example, right? So what we're trying to do is make it agnostic in the sense that, yes, government departments could certainly plug into this network with their client base. Individuals could request of any entity to get their documents on this platform. And, you know, we facilitate that handshake or data sharing or document sharing between any document owner and any third party they may choose to interact with in the marketplace by giving them that secure key, if you will, access to a particular record or, or document that I, that, that I, as a document owner, um, manage or have control over in this platform. So... I mean, there's particular challenges in this, uh, I can imagine, right? More, not just getting the technology together yeah. and the right, right team, but it requires a lot of trust, a lot of trust to be built. Um, for you, uh, as someone who's senior in, in an industry and, you know, having gone through KPMG and, and as, was it KPMG or PwC? You would, sorry. NEY. Gotcha. Um, so having been with these firms, uh, definitely gave you that experience and gave the credentials um, to be taken more seriously. How how does that come into play? Uh, do you think that gives you an advantage uh, in this uh, in this space? 
I'm not sure if it gives us an advantage. It certainly okay. gives us an experience base to draw on, no question. And, and you know, we're, we've been, uh, I think we've had a, a very good fast start. We're in the mm. process of MVP development as well as market validation as we speak. A lot of the engagement we've had with both government, education, healthcare, and private sector, um, initial as part of market validation has been very positive. Um, the use cases keep coming out. Um, almost every client can sort of identify, wow, if we did this, this would save us X, right? So we're, we're, I think that's being very helpful. That doesn't mean that it will be a simple thing to engage with government, obviously, as a startup. Um, they're going to look for some real world traction and all that stuff, but we hope to mitigate some of that angst by, you know, collaboration, let's say, with, you know, channel partners, whether they're the big four or others. Um, and, and we think that there's a viable play there because there is a bit of an institutional um, transformation or digital transformation element to adoption of a platform like this. There is a little bit of a, a hurdle to understand blockchain and it really needs innovators and, and those with responsibilities to you know, evaluate emerging technologies and their suitability in their in their environments. And I think we're well equipped to have those discussions and 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 kind of uh, engineer discovery, if you will, um, opportunities for different organizations. And I think that's going to be part of part of our you know uh, the road we have to hoe. But uh, we think it can get done, and we're eager to do it. So speaking on this, right? Um, let's, let's delve it back and 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 come to the, up to the point. Um, have you have you ever uh, to the point you are now? Um, um, have you is this your first startup? Have you ever started a enterprise uh, enterprise before? No, it's a first startup. But as you know, like in, mm-hmm. in management consulting, you're essentially you, you you've got a micro business in, in, in a in a in a within the big benefit of the, you know, of, of, of the machine, but you're still, you know, what you're doing is you're selling complex solutions, right. And in complex client environment and contexts and, and, you know, you have to take all those variables into account. It's not just technology basis, you know, it's organizational, it's yep. change management, it's all of that together. So I think we've got, you know, the team's got both technology, organizational change, operating model, business engineering, marketing, and operations backgrounds. And so collectively, I think we've got, you know, a good skill base to draw on and and, and, uh, cool. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll push back on that a little bit because managing consultants are really good optimizers. They're optimizing mm-hmm. things that already work. Whereas founders, you know, when you're when you're a startup, one of the best explanations I got now is the startup is like a, a um, experiment factory. You're running a bunch of experiments to see what works, and then finding a uh, and finding a repeatable business model. Yeah. Um, and in that kind of process, a lot of people, you know, inexperienced people, kind of get bogged down on on the mental on the mental gymnastics you got to do to get through this. Right, the idea of this is not going to work, but this is going to work, and, and not get too keyed into a certain idea, or, or all those kind of things. So, I love to know from you know your experience, like how does it feel starting a company, an enterprise from the ground up? Like, is there any significant difference there? Mm-hmm. Uh, to- look, totally different. It's been exhilarating, but uh, I I, th- I totally agree with what, what you've just said. Um, but I'll tell you how we sort of went about this and we, 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 we wanted to mitigate, if you will, our mm. um, worldview 
right at the beginning. And so we went, before we incorporated, we invested some time in researching the technology, understanding it, kind of schooling ourselves, if you will. Um, we went through a significant point of prototyping. And through that prototyping, we actually learned quite a bit, not just about the technology, but about the use case we wanted to enable. And, and this is where we came to, to the point of saying, you know what? What's the point of fulfilling a sing, you know, a particular niche play? We need to do this, you know, as a Swiss Army knife approach, if you will. And and the way and that informed, if you mm -hmm. will, our, our design now for MVP. And we're in a much better place, much stronger, if you will, value proposition, and a bit more agnostic, far more industry agnostic than we were when we started. Right. So I take your point, but I do believe that you know. Like most startups, mm -hmm. we, we, we learned quite a bit, right? As we went through the process and we engaged and we were involved in a couple of good accelerators and still are. Um, and that sort of helps you sort of broaden your thinking and ensure that you've got all the ducks in a row. So where we had a few blind spots, that was, you know, that was, um, if you will, uh, taken care of or uh, at least brought to our attention. So we were able to respond to that. And I would argue we actually were able to respond to it a little better, thank God, right? Um, so that was good. Awesome. Uh, and, um, and I think yeah, that helped. So I think the unique aspect is, you know, that you're, yeah, you've retired and decided you're going to go and start your own company. Right. Um, when you when you when you decided to, to to start your own company, right? What was the what was the process like? Like when you decide uh, when you wanted to go out and research this? Did you start immediately just working on your own? Did you start working with, looking for a co-founder? Like what were the resources that came into play? Look, I, mm. it was a gradual thing. I didn't set out to do it. Um, you know, I was I was thinking about. Um, retirement. And then I thought, well, what would I do if I ever did, right? Just go get another job. Like, you know, that was the easy the option, right? To be honest. And, and, and there are days when I question myself, but, but that being said, like, I, there was just a lot of, once one got a good grasp of the potential of this technology, um, and it, it was just so clear that it's still undermet if you will. Um, and I thought there, there's, we, you know, when I felt that we could do it, it was very clear that we should do it. Right. Um, and, and then I solicited, of course, uh, you know, counsel from friends and family and the most critical uh, people I could find, my children. And, um, you know, so they were my guinea pigs as far as the value proposition. And honestly, they were skeptical at the beginning, but then once they understood, once I was able to clarify the idea and blockchain mm -hmm. and its role, they all said, I'd buy that. I'd sign up for that. And then once I could convince them and friends and family and so on, it became clear that, well, if there's that kind of consensus, we have to develop it. And that's when we went down the road of prototyping things and things like that, just to validate what it could feel and look like. And when we felt like this was a serious endeavor, we incorporated. So it wasn't it wasn't a quit. It flipped the switch. Let's do this. It was the would this really work? Would people actually look at this? 
could we pull this off? What are the components of doing it? So there's a lot of homework and legwork to figure out what it meant to do to be a startup. And I got to tell you, YouTube was very YouTube is a helpful. secret weapon. Um, <laughs> there's so much knowledge out there for free. Uh, it is. Absolutely. I didn't know what, you know, valuations were, but now Absolutely. I think I... Uh, I mean, in our little way, in, so. we're trying to contribute to that knowledge tree by uh, by producing this. So I, I love that aspect. I, one of the things mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I do frequently a lot is uh, find a good uh, interview show and just like, uh, there's a really good one um, uh, by Bloomberg. Um, I, I, can't, I can't remember her, the, the host name. He's like a CEO of a private equity firm and he runs like a really good show. And I remember binging like, like two okay. seasons of that because it's like, you get to see the inside scoop, like how people think and talk, <laughs> right, in that industry. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. look, we, we picked up a lot and we were able to prepare a lot based on our learnings from, you know, various things that, that we found online. And of course, the accelerator programs are usually reasonably well-structured and the mentors help. And it allowed us to kind of validate and fill gaps, whether it was, you know, customer journey maps or financial models and, and you know, all that stuff. So, you know, I think the resources are out there once you've got, you know, a concept for you to sort of self-assess and evaluate whether that concept will work. You know, for example, we confused initially um, market validation with sales. We were trying to go sell something before we had it. Um, and we realized that, no, we really got to switch to market validation. And that took a completely, you know, different uh, lens on things. Yeah, uh, and I mean, it, it definitely helps bit. that uh, you're, you're, you're you know, I'm assuming a little more situated in life, being retired and having built up a career. So like money is not tight. Oftentimes a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. get wound in this chase of, okay, yeah, I need to validate and, and continue this, but I need, we need money. We need something to come in, coming in, in the door. Yeah, look, it's not as if money's, you know, free to, to uh, off the tree kind of thing, but we're still being very prudent. We're um, leveraging some freelance resources where it makes sense. We're doing things internally for the most part. Um, I'm doing a, a, a module of the MVP offshore for just, you know, price competitiveness, if you will. But our intent is, uh, you know, to bring all that onshore in-house as quickly as we can. And we're also being prudent. We're doing, you know, we're looking at, um, you know, shred, uh, uh, you know, and government grant uh, possibilities. We've got a couple of interns that are covered under some, you know, uh, uh, grant programs and and the like. So it doesn't mean, you know, and that's the beauty. Like, Like I said earlier, there's a lot of resources out there, but they do take some effort to navigate through and find but but it's very doable, and there are resources to help you get them. So we're yeah, so we're thankful tell for me about, that. And that about the technology and uh, how, how you got situated in that, because it's it's one thing to have this concept, another thing to actually build it. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, it it wasn't you know just um, desktop reading. I went and I got a certificate from MIT in blockchain, just so that I could have a good grounding. Um, and quite honestly, that helped tremendously. But I also went 
beyond that after. And I started looking at the new developments in blockchain, whether it's Ethereum 2.0 or, or you know, new blockchain as a, a service providers that are in the market, the difference between the different blockchain platforms or consensus algorithms and how they may or may work and what are the pros and cons and what context would you use one versus the other. And I think that extended, if you will, the learning. But, but um, you know, that I think is what helped us not just figure out what what do we want to do, but also how we want to do it. And I think that really helped us kind of nail our technology options um, and where we landed as far as our preferred um, uh, platform for development and delivery of our MVP, which is Kaleido IO. So we found that platform to be very fascinating. Very Did you do you have co-founder um, that you had to bring on? I do. Well, uh, uh, we are a couple. We've always seemed to work in the same uh, uh, industry, uh, management consulting, although we never work together. Um, Deanne has marketing and operations background. And so we started this together. Since then, we've expanded the team as well. We've got, um, uh, I, I won't name him because I didn't ask his permission to do so on this, but um, we've got a, a really solid solution architect as a technical advisor to the team. We've got uh, another individual who teaches um, blockchain uh, as an advisor as well to the organization. Again, I won't name him because I didn't ask anybody for permission to do so. But um, so we, we built a really good team. Um, we've got the blockchain expertise and background. We've also got a full stack development team. We've got a couple of interns that are part of our full stack development team as well. Um, and we have uh, you know, a partner organization overseas that uh, will work with us in any client context as far as business transformation and the like. So uh, I think we're well equipped to go to market. It'll be, it'll be essentially our first immediate focus is on getting the, those interested um, client organizations to do a proof of concept or discovery where they learn about the blockchain platform and create a value proposition and business case for them and understand, if you will, the benefits both to their organization as well as their client base, because they think the rest will take care of itself. But now we've got um, a really good, well-rounded team to, to Amazing. hit all those um, bases, I mean, which we're looking for. One of the things to. I'm taking from this is that uh, it reminds me of this, uh, this concept I've, I've learned is that when you're a founder, um, what you really are is you're a strategist, like trying to figure out how all these different pieces kind of come together, you know, from the talent pool to the, the resources, external resources to, um, you know, the, the capital, how it's utilized, all these things. It's, it's a very strategic uh, kind of a mentality you kind of adopt. Um, you know, how's that been for you? Like, you know, are you enjoying that? Uh, look, like I said, it's been the most gratifying thing we've attacked. <laughs> um, I, at times, it doesn't feel strategic at all. It appears very tactical and responsive, right? Stimulus response. But you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a lot of dimensions, and many of them are concurrent. Some you could sort of schedule out. Some you really need to deal with right away. Um, you know, I mentioned, for example, you know, dealing with offshore resources. Easier said than done. Um, you know, you've got to really look hard at, at, at those contracts and what are the specific deliverables and milestones and payment methods and all of that stuff comes into play. So it's really it's because we have a team that has a collective experience base that we could 
make sure that, you know, we're taking care of the core. Um, but at the same time, too, speed is of the essence for any startup and, um, you know, and money is tight. And so we're trying to do things very judiciously and invest where it makes sense as far as the MVP goes. And, and, and you know, just when I say MVP, the definition of that MVP, like we've been very careful mm -hmm. on not putting every bell and whistle we'd love to see in it out of the gate. Um, and, and those are some hard decisions that we've had to make as a team. But we think with the market validation activity we've done, we're, we've landed in the right place and, um, you know, we've got to the right point. But, but like you say, you know, there's a lot of dimensions and a lot of attributes. And quite honestly, it's, it's exhilarating. Um, you know, there are times when you wake up at four and you say, well, can't go back to sleep. I may as well get this done. And, and it's great. Absolutely. But, um, uh, let's let's, know, let's very, talk a little bit about the future. Um, what does the future hold? Like, what does the, what does the future look like with the solution in place? Sure. Like to you, like with blockchain and like uh, the web 3.0, uh, 4.0, 3.0, 3.0 running, right? Um, um, how, does, how, does that, how does that operate for you? Like, how does that look like? Yeah, 3.0. I think we're going to see a massive shift to more blockchain-based solutions. Once people understand the difference between a centralized and a DLT-type platform. Um, that being said, we're on the cusp of that. So, what our you know one two-year, if you will, plan is to get into every target market mm -hmm. that we've identified. Right, government, health, education, at least, right, and and private sector as well. Um, and so we think we can do that in the first one or two years. Um, you know, obviously we're going to have to build up our team, especially in the BD, uh, you know, sales and marketing uh, side of the house. And, and as well, IT will grow with it. But um, we think that's doable. Year two and three, we think we might actually be able to disrupt, um, you know, the, the um, notary public market. Okay. Mm -hmm because our focus is on facilitating document sharing. And notaries, they essentially, we go to them, we present ourselves with our documents, mm -hmm. they put a seal, they make sure it's us, and and that's what you get. And then you take that document elsewhere. Very paper-based, right? Um, beyond that, you may not have heard, most people haven't, um, you may have heard of the 1961 Hague um, apostille agreement or convention. That is a very dated way of sharing documents internationally. First, you take your document to a notary, then it goes to your government organization, and then it goes from the, for authentication, and then it goes to the embassy of the country you want to take your document to, um, to legalize. Very cumbersome, dated process, right? 60-year-old, um, we think we can disrupt all of that. So uh, I, I think over time we'll be able to do awesome. Uh, I mean, um, can you can talk about the three markets? I know you talked a little bit about the government, but especially in um, education, right? healthcare and education. That sounds really interesting. What, what are the applications you see there? Yeah. I'll give you a, a couple of very Easy examples. I'll, I'll, I'll save the fun ones till last. But um, in education, uh, you know, all of the universities, um, colleges, they graduate students every year and they all get their education certificates. And 
we hang them up on the wall. You probably see the one behind me uh, from my um, university, but they're very hard to share. And when I have to prove, if you will, you know, when I go to apply for a job that I am a graduate with a certain degree um, or I'm an MD or whatever the case might be, I now have to pay that college some fee, administrative fee, to get a copy. And they usually will courier that either to myself or to uh, where I'm sending it. Um, and that's just an administrative burden on the education sector, right? It's of little value, really. And they're not making money on that transaction. They're just trying to, um, you know, meet their cost base on it. So the education sector is ripe for that. Um, but others are also looking at that. So, you know, we're not betting the farm on that. But there are many in the education sector that, that would look at those kinds of solutions. Um, health is more interesting. Health, you could think of, you know, two immediate use cases. Just, I think it was last week, the G7 agreed to recognize each other's um, COVID vaccination certification, right? That's nice. But how, you know, by the time they figure out how, what standard to use and how they're going to integrate that and all that stuff, in the meantime, we would, we could have a solution that would do it more securely, more distributed, right? And with more individual control over those vaccination certificates than anything they're going to come up with. And by control is, I might get my vaccination on our system, on my laminate, but I have complete control over who I share it with. So it's one thing for the G7 to say, let's um, recognize each other's vaccination certificates. But it's another thing when it impedes on my personal health record, you know, uh, rights and responsibilities, right? In our system, we're giving the owner of that vaccination certificate control over whether or not he chooses to share it with an airline or a venue that may require it for entry. And I think that's our differentiator, right? Another one that's interesting in the health sector is, um, you know, as we get older, we use, we may use, let's say, um, internet of medical things devices, right? They may be capturing, let's say, health information or, you know, perspiration rate or, you know, um, heart rate, whatever the case might be. Right now, these medical devices, they're capturing that personal health information and they're storing in the cloud on proprietary databases. And we know because we ticked a box saying, I accept, they're marketing that database, uh, that that data. It may be an, an anonymized, but they're selling that data 10 times over, just like Facebook and Twitter and others do with our information today, right? It's become the surveillance capitalism society, right? Well, in our worldview, that's my personal data. I should be able to control how and who it's shared with. And in our world, we could get that data in my lamina as a payload. We don't care what the data is. We don't care the document attributes or metadata. We treat it as a payload, it's encrypted, and we, we're like a pipe. We give it to the document owner and the document owner has con control over how that data is used. In the future, it could be that when I stop using that medical device, it could be that I want to give control to uh, a family member that may restrict its further use or sale, right? Um, so those are the kinds of things that I think are going to 
change the way things happen. Absolutely. Um, uh, I've been following future, this trend as well. I think, it's, I think it's beautiful. Like, uh, seeing well. that kind of vision play out. There's a huge movement um, based around this one principle. Um, yeah. uh, are you familiar with the term uh, protocols, not platforms? Yeah, so platforms in a sense are like centrally com- control, command and control no, infrastructure, uh, technology systems where protocols are like protocol layers between technologies. Um, it, it started off with like WebRTC and IRC programs to like to um, sta- standardize communication protocols, right? Now there's a new a new protocol uh, called Matrix we've been utilizing where like all text-based communications yeah. follow yeah. this protocol, meaning that between platforms like Slack and Discord, you can have conversations and between WhatsApp because they all follow one protocol. Uh, but this is becoming a part of like the, the decentralized yeah. web, web 3.0, right? Um, and yeah. a part of that is like making things more machine readable. So Correct. it's a rise of yeah. the third platform, not just the web 3.0. It's, an, it's a, like the first platform being yeah. machines being one-to-one. You have this giant mainframe that you put yeah. punch cards into and it does calculations one-to-one. Then, well, then the second platform was uh, the, the the internet protocol, protocol right? Where yep. it's a, it's a, a, a distributed computing. So, so it's people interconnecting each other through machines, right? But the third platform is uh, machines talking to machines, making decisions with machines. Yep. So yep. part that. of the reason why we need data to be uh, to be decentralized and be accessible, yep. and by by giving personal control, people will be more likely to trust it. Part of the, the secondary tertiary benefits are going to come out of that is that it's going to be more machine readable, meaning we can have interoperable machines uh, operating on top of this. Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah, look, absolutely right. I, I haven't given that enough thought because it, it is more protocol than platform because what, what another feature of our platform even though now that I think about it, maybe I should use the word protocol, is we enable an mm. institution to seamlessly change the metadata attributes of any document, right? So we know documents aren't static. A document may have four fields today. Next month, they may have six. We allow the institution to change that on the fly, to say, right. as of next month, there's going to be a different look and feel or a different set of metadata. And all of that happens behind the scenes. Neither the document owner or the institution need to worry about it. They just the institution just needs to inform it, right? And it and it allows that pass through. It treats it as a payload, encrypted. My laminin doesn't have access to that information. The only people that can read it are the document owner and anyone he chooses, he or she chooses to to share it with. So I like the idea of the more protocol than platform, but you're absolutely right. That's and I and we think that will eventually facilitate, like you say, a broader, if you will, network effect in society. Because if you take away that friction about how we share our document mm-hmm. and information, mm-hmm. then you will definitely create a greater ecosystem or network effect amongst those participants. And that's why we're envisioning that it should be a permission blockchain. But ultimately too, we also believe that blockchain is going to have some dramatic enhancements in interoperability in the next year or two. And so you could have different permissioned blockchains that can communicate with each other. But the one thing that will be consistent will be my digital wallet. And so I don't care if my document's coming off this Mm. permission blockchain or another permission blockchain, I'll have them all consolidated. So that's 
that's kind of yeah, interesting I mean, as well. I mean, the holy because, grail of, it, uh, kind of, of this kind of community is what happens if I, uh, you know, are rendered unconscious in a foreign country and they have to identify me in order to give me medical aid. What is my past history? Right now, that's impossible. Impossible. Right. So, I mean, right. Like, I mean, imagine a future where you go, you get admitted to a hospital, yeah. even if you're unconscious, exactly. the system yeah. takes a uh, by. Is is verifying and then they're saying that hey that is a hospital asking you and then communicates to your identity server saying hey this is this person and then double checks and then gets them the access to all, all the documents because they needed it right all that can be done seamlessly but all starts with uh, the the initiation trust factor yeah yeah. yeah yeah I can tell you like when when I said part of this idea came out of both professional and personal experience. I didn't mention that we, you know, having lived in three different countries and have three different citizenships, yeah. right? Um, right now, I can tell you, our health records are all over the place. They're in multiple systems. And if a doctor asks me about, you know, information that was in another system, it is cumbersome. I got to go log into that, download it into a PDF, upload the PDF in another system. Mm -hmm. It is very inconvenient, not to mention, you know, problematic in many cases, right? So imagine if I had it all here and I could, with a press mm -hmm. of a button on a, on a simple to use app, just say, send it to Dr. X. That is a huge enabler and a facilitation in society. And, and I think that, you know, it's inevitably where we're going. We, it may take us a couple of years to get there, but <laughs> yeah, I remember when. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's all it's all forward momentum, right? Uh, like everybody taking chips well, out so different parts of it, we'll and all. Like I like that word you use with the collaboration and competition yeah. combined together. What would you call it? Cooperation. That's good. I mean, uh, that's what Web three point is all about. Yeah. Like everyone's kind of working together towards uh, different parts of the same problem. Correct. Right now, the, our, our model, our premise is I got to have my system of record. You have your system of record. And if we really have to, you know, keep each other informed of something, we'll schlep data around. Or really, if I trust you, I'll give you access to my system so you could look at it and you do the same. We don't have to do any of that nonsense. Right. It's it's all we will all have our version of uh, our node uh, of the ledger, if you will, will contain everything we need to do. And if, and if and new developments in blockchain now where you can actually restrict um, access or secure access to at the transaction level to only the participants of the transaction make co-opetition so much easy, right? Like it's just, it facilitates it. There's no reason now not to be able to do that with other industry uh, partners who you may be competing with in, in certain, in, you know, amazing. geographies. Ash, but this has been, you can do this that been amazing. Thank you so much for your time and coming in. And uh, I feel like I've learned a lot great. and you validated a lot of uh, patterns you've been seeing in the industry coming forward. I uh, really look forward to seeing uh, more updates about uh, what's coming from, uh, from, from yourself and your startup. What we'd love to do is have updates like every six months, companies come back. Uh, I'd love to have you come back again, you know, once you launch uh, into the field and uh, get some feedback or some real feedback. That'd be really interesting. Absolutely. Stick around. We'll do a quick debrief. We'd love to. I really enjoyed Everybody this. else Thank who you tuned in. For, Thank you. Uh, for giving me the opportunity.